Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 20. You can find it in your copy of the scriptures or it's reproduced for you in the bulletin. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 20. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And then the focus of our attention this morning, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. I got to thinking a little bit about uh, this series in, in chapter 11. Uh, sometimes it's labeled Heroes of the Faith. Uh, sometimes it's called Faith's Hall of Fame. And, uh, and I was just thinking, uh, if I had told you that we were going to do a series, and the series was going to be uh, famous characters of the Old Testament from Genesis, famous characters of, of the Old Testament from Genesis, there are some whose reaction would be, ah, oh, yawn, snore, drool, you know, just isn't that interesting. But if I tell you that we're going to do a series on what it means to be saved by faith in Christ and what it means to live by faith in Christ. What does the Christian life look like, this, uh, this life of faith? I think, by and large, most of us would perk up, sit on the edges of our seats, and yes, that sounds exceedingly relevant. Uh, what does it mean to be saved by faith? And what does living by faith look like? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, as Christians, what living by faith in Christ looks like. It looks like Abel, who by faith worshipped God in spirit and in truth. That's what faith looks like. It looks like Enoch, who by faith walked with God in constant fellowship and communion with him. Saving faith in Christ looks like Noah, who by faith believed in an unseen future but certain judgment on the wicked, and who followed God's instructions for his provision to be saved from the wrath to come, and who fled with his family to the ark of salvation for safety, and who told others about the coming judgment. That's what Christian faith looks like. It looks like the faith of Noah. It looks like the faith of Abraham, who left his old life behind, literally, geographically, and then followed God to live a new life, called out of darkness into God's wonderful light, and then following him. It looks like Abraham again, who believed that God was able to create new life from the cold, dead, barren womb of his wife, in the same way that we believe that God is able to create new life 
from the cold, dead, barren souls of sinners who are dead in sins and trespasses because of our great transgressions. And again, it looks like Abraham, who even in our text today, clearly believed in the resurrection of the dead. And so all of these are given, again, just to reset the context. I hope it uh, won't be burdensome for you to hear these things again. I know that uh, they've been said before, but it also gives me an opportunity to get a little bit of, of, a, of a running start. Uh, remember, this is a letter written to uh, primarily Jews who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but they are facing persecution and opposition uh, from all kinds of fronts. And so their faith is difficult and they are being made to suffer for righteousness' sake. And some, under these sore pressures and temptations, are being tempted to go back to the old ways. This Jesus thing is just getting me into a lot of trouble, and it's just more trouble than it's worth. And so I, I just need to be done with, with Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is, is begging and imploring his Jewish brothers and sisters, don't do that. Uh, let me give you these examples uh, from the faith of our fathers, because the faith of our fathers is our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ was their faith in Jesus Christ. The only difference is their faith was in a faith in Christ yet to come. Our faith is in a Christ who has come, but it's the same faith and it's the same Christ as Abel, as Enoch, as Noah, as Abraham. And so we're going to continue to see that as we move through Hebrews chapter 11. The, the faith of the fathers as an encouragement uh, not to let go of believing in Jesus Christ just as our forefathers uh, did. They, through types and shadows, but us <clears throat> in, the, in the light of the reality of which those things were just types and shadows. And so today, uh, we come to another of the patriarchs. You know, it would not be surprising for children uh, to say, oh, tell me the story of Noah. I want to hear about Noah. You know, the animals, the animals, they came in by twosies, twosies. You know, I want to hear about that. Or I want to hear about Abraham, you know, and, and the dramatic command of God to sacrifice his own son. Or I want to hear about Jacob. I want to hear about Jacob, you know, the ladder with angels ascending and, and descending and wrestling with the angel. You know, I want to hear about Joseph and, and the multicolored coat and sold uh, into a Midianite caravan. But how, do, how many times do you hear children or anybody say, ooh, 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 tell me the story of Isaac. All right, story of Isaac. Anybody? anybody? <laughs> Bueller, anybody? You know, what are, what are the high points? What are the high points of the life of Isaac. How much do you know about the life of Isaac? Even in scripture, less scripture is devoted to him than these others. The multiple chapters of scripture are devoted to Abraham and to Jacob and to Joseph and to Moses, uh, as we will see. Isaac's life is really compressed into about three chapters or even a little bit less than that. In, for the most part, the high points of Isaac's life are, first of all, he didn't get slaughtered by his father, Abraham. Well, that's a good thing, okay. 
And then, second of all, when he was old and could barely see, he was deceived and manipulated by his own son. There's Isaac. Okay, how did he end up here? Let's look, let's expand on that a little bit and look at some other aspects of Isaac's life uh, together. Uh, Isaac was uh, 37 years old uh, when his mom, uh, Sarah, died. And Abraham, his dad, being interested in his son's well-being, uh, as he was probably grieving his mom's death, uh, perhaps spent a lot of time with his mom. We don't know. That's speculative. But Abraham undertakes uh, to get a wife for Isaac. And so uh, Genesis 24 uh, is that story of Abraham sending his servant uh, to, to his people to seek out a wife uh, for Isaac and, and God's miraculous and wonderful way of indicating who that wife would be, and it would be uh, Rebecca. And so Rebecca is chosen, the chosen wife of, of Isaac. And then Isaac is 40 years old, so this is just three years since his mom has died. He's 40 years old when he marries Rebecca. This is Genesis 25 20. Okay. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And so there you have it. On, on this reading of Scripture, it certainly sounds to me as if they're married when Isaac is 40. Uh, his wife is barren. He implores the Lord uh, for a miraculous ability for his wife to conceive, and she does. And they have the twin boys. We'll have more to say about the twin boys and some interesting prophecies regarding them. But just a few verses later, in Genesis 25, we read this. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Married at 40, prayed, God answered his prayer, and the boys were born 20 years later. I would suggest to you that the scripture indicates Isaac prayed for his wife for 20 years that God might grant her the ability to bear children. I think one of the things we see in Isaac by faith is a patient prayer warrior. You know, his father Abraham kind of went through the same thing. God says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. And Abraham waits about 10 years for that to be fulfilled, and nothing happens. So what does Abraham do? He follows the advice of his wife, Sarah. What God must mean is the children are coming from my, my maidservant, Hagar. Have relations with her, and that will be your heir. So Abraham held out for about 10 years. Did Isaac know anything about that from his dad? We don't know. But Isaac did not cave in <laughs> to, to temptation, but continued to pray faithfully for his wife for 20 
years. I do believe that that alone challenges us concerning our perseverance in prayer. You know, have you and I, some of you haven't been alive for 20 years. I get that. <laughs> but for those of us, have you prayed for anything? You know, for 20 years, have you prayed for anything for 20 weeks? Have you prayed for anything for 20, for 20 days? You know, Isaac was the promised descendant, and he was given the promise that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. What that shows us is God's promises do not make prayer unnecessary. There's one you can take home. God's promises do not make prayer unnecessary. They were promised to Isaac, but he prayed for those promises for 20 years. In Luke 18, Jesus says the same thing. Luke 18, Jesus said this, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then what follows is the story, the parable, about the nagging widow who's just a pain to this unjust judge. And and she's just on his door day and night for him to undertake her case. And finally, because of her persevering prayer, he caves in. And then Jesus draws the contrast. You know, if this rat of a judge caved in because this widow harassed him day and night, your heavenly father is not the unjust judge. He loves you with an everlasting love. Do you think he won't hear? Do you think that he won't answer? I heard this story. I think some of you uh, have heard it before, but it, it's still one of my uh, favorite, the, the Christian brother who's taken from this life to the next, and uh, one of the angels has given him a tour uh, of the place, and it's grand and it's glorious, it's terrific, and then the angel takes him uh, to this storehouse, and he sees all of these boxes in the storehouse with his name on them. He's like, well, that's interesting. And the angel says, go take a look. He goes over and he opens the first box and he goes, I remember when I prayed for that. And he goes to another box and he opens that box and he goes, I remember when I prayed for that. And, and sure, all these boxes are things that he had prayed for but never got delivered. And so he turns to the angel he's like, what happened? God didn't answer my prayers. And the angel says, oh, my friend, you don't understand. God was ready to answer your prayers, and he was preparing to answer them. But then when he looked, you had stopped praying for him, so he figured you didn't need him anymore. <laughs> Persevering in prayer. We don't know when God has the answer prepared and is about uh, to send it. Uh, Rebecca conceives. Uh, Rebecca has a difficult pregnancy, to say the least. There's a, a mysterious prophecy concerning these twins that are in her womb, and part of that prophecy is that the older will serve the younger, which, of course, is just the flip of what ordinarily would be happening in this society and culture. The, the older, the firstborn, had the rights, the privileges, the inheritance, and then the younger siblings would serve the older. Uh, but this prophecy of God, while they're still in the womb, is that the older will serve the younger. And so then in Genesis 25, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau. 
because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. What you have here is a parental pitfall. This is a bad idea for parenting, (laughs) for parents to pick and choose which of their children is a favorite. It starts out bad, and even in the text we've read today, you can see it just goes downhill from, from there. And so you've got Jacob, who's, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of a mama's boy, you know, kind of hanging around with, with uh, uh, Rebekah. And Esau, grr, you know, got man's man. And, and Jacob is all, I mean, he, Isaac, Isaac is all about Esau. First of all, because he has, you know, unlimited access to Outback Buffet. You know, and, and then he's just uh, attracted to that. And so, so Isaac has this inordinate affinity for Esau, even though he knows Esau is not the chosen one. Isaac knows this, that God has already prophetically predicted that the older will serve the younger. But Isaac has chosen to ignore that little piece of prophetic prophecy and and puts all of his affection into, into Esau. So Isaac chooses Esau, Rebekah chooses Jacob. But again, remember, it's not just Rebekah who chooses Jacob. It's God who chooses Jacob. He's the younger, and the older will serve him. And at this point, we would have to say that uh, Isaac's faith is failing a little bit. We'll have more to say about that in just a moment. And then a famine hits. Scripture tells us, there's, I think that was our reading today, a famine, you know, hits, hits the land. And in the midst of this famine, we have a promising appearance by God to Isaac. God says to Isaac, I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. I'll establish the oath I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, give you the offspring, your offspring, uh, the land to your offspring. And in your offspring, all the nations shall be blessed. And so, indeed, we have this repetition of the Abrahamic covenant passed down and reconfirmed and affirmed to Isaac. Abraham and Isaac now, and through Isaac, your descendants are going to uh, be the inheritors of the Abrahamic covenant. And so Isaac moves his family a little bit to the uh, west uh, of the promised land, and apparently... God is like, okay, I know what you're thinking. And God explicitly, I love this, says, do not go to Egypt. God's seen it all before. Famine, Abraham, Sarah, and they bundle off to Egypt where all sorts of bad things happen because Abraham becomes a liar. And so to spare Isaac, at this point, he says, don't go uh, to Egypt. And at this point, you really do have to wonder, uh, you know, how much did Abraham share of his life with, with his son? Remember, they had a pretty powerful bonding moment when Abraham was about to kill him. <laughs> and God spared him and, and gave him back 
uh, to him. You know, I just wonder if Abraham shared some of his life uh, experiences, including his uh, mistakes and faults and failures. I suspect that he did. I suspect Isaac was aware of some of his father's failures and shortcomings from his father's own lips. You know, it's great to learn from your mistakes. I would say it's a lot better to learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> let them make the mistakes and then let us be educated. If that's the case, how often do we share with others, our family or others, our failures, where we messed up, where we sinned, in order for them to learn from our mistakes? Let me endeavor to be of help and spare you from doing the same stupid things that I did. To the extent and the degree that we're not willing, by the way, it's because of pride, (laughs) to share our failures and our mistakes. To that extent, we rob other people of the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. And more often than not, with that testimony, you know what comes the testimony of the forgiveness and mercy of God. I did this, I did this. Some things are mistakes, some things are sins. For the sins, God has had mercy on me. He's forgiven me, washed me, cleansed me, purified me through my faith in Jesus Christ. And for the mistakes, the stupid things that I did were just stupid, either impetuous or unwise. It could have been a lot worse than what it's been because of of the mercy of God. And so Isaac is warned not to go down uh, to Egypt. And so after this promising word from God, we have a pathetic regression. <laughs> Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, oh, she is my sister. <laughs> Are you kidding me? For he feared my wife. Uh, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was a hottie. That's the original Hebrew. She was attractive in appearance. Okay, he may have learned something, but he didn't learn uh, that one. That that is exactly, almost word for word, what Abraham did with Sarah. And so here we see the, the painful playing out of what the Bible teaches which is the sins of the fathers visited on the sons. I want to tell you that one of my daily prayers is that God would have mercy and not visit my sins on my son. I don't know what God thinks of that prayer, but I'm praying it. I I beg God, don't visit my, even though he said he would, I'm begging him to have mercy and and not visit my sins on my son. You know, I got saved when I was 23. I'm not really proud of the years 19 to 22. <laughs> Just not. And I'm, I'm begging God uh, for that. But here we see it. The sins of Abraham now visited on, on uh, his, his son. Uh, we come to our text then. That those are helpful uh, instructions in the faith uh, from the life of Isaac. But our text is, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. As I mentioned, God had told Isaac that uh, uh, the older will serve the younger, and we just had the story read, so I don't have to read the story again. That's why we have the scripture readings. It kind of helps 
uh, not having to redo those, those sorts of things in, in the sermon. Uh, but, but here comes uh, es- you know, Isaac says, I want to give the blessing to Esau. What is he thinking? I want to give the blessing to Esau. I want to give the blessing of the firstborn and the leader and the head who, who will be served by others, including his brother Jacob. I want to give him the blessing. I don't want to give Jacob the blessing. And, and so that's the plan. You know, Isaac, Isaac's got, got, uh, got the plan. And, and so uh, he, he's ready uh, to, to execute it. And, of course, you know, here comes Jacob disguised as Esau. And so uh, says, you know, who is it? And he says, it's me, Esau. <clears throat> I mean, it's me, Esau. <laughs> and, and fools him uh, completely and leaves. And so Jacob, by deception, we're going to do Jacob next week. Oh, my goodness me, what a rascal. Um, Jacob, by deception, gets the blessing of the firstborn and leaves. And then in comes Esau. And Isaac is like, well, who are you? Well, it's Esau. I'm, I'm, I'm back. And this is the reaction of Isaac. Isaac trembled violently. Not he was enraged. Not he was bitter. Uh, not, it says he, he trembled violently. The, 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 just, I don't know what it is. But, but it, it is potentially, it's both an aha and an oh no moment for Isaac. And it, it, it's, it struck him to the very depths of his soul when he finds out and puts it all together. I have inadvertently, unintentionally given the patriarchal blessing to the younger <laughs> instead of the older. And so what does Esau say? You know, let's do, it's a do-over. You know, did you have your fingers crossed or something? You know, bless me. Give me the blessing that I deserve as the firstborn. And I think now we see the faith of Isaac. I think here we see that Isaac, by faith, in so many words, says to his son, you know, my son, I tried to circumvent God's plan, but I failed. I tried to thwart God's plan, but instead, God thwarted my plan. And I think Isaac is saying, you know, son, we can fight against Jacob, and we can fight against your mom, but we can't fight against God. Son, this is a losing battle. And the sooner we learn this, the better. That God's will cannot be thwarted. God's promises cannot be overturned or undermined. And the sooner we get under that, the better off we will will both be. And so I can give you what's left of a blessing knowing that you're not the chosen one. I I know that now, that that God has even undertaken to make sure that I know now uh, that 
uh, Jacob is the elect of God <laughs> and, and not you. And Jacob is the one through whom the Messiah will come, not, not you. And, and he does pray for his son. And in these blessings, he's seeing things they don't, they don't have any descendants. J- Jacob and Esau don't have any descendants yet. They don't live in the promised land yet. But by faith, Isaac acts just as if those things had already come true. He invokes the future blessing on God. We see it here. We're going to see it again a couple of more times. But that's one of the major themes of these early verses of uh, of Hebrews 11, one of the early things is the future promises of God. They aren't less certain. They just haven't happened yet. You know, the, the future blessings, the future promised land. I think I am going to do one whole sermon on that, probably after Labor Day. There's a whole passage in Hebrews 11 that, that talks about the real promised land. This ain't it. <laughs> As great as Texas is. Texas is great. This ain't ain't it. And for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel wasn't it. The Davidic kingdom, which was expansive, wasn't it. Those things were foreshadows and types of an eternal promised land. David, a great king, but just a foretype and a shadow of the eternal king who reigns in heaven, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we get from Isaac? Uh, again, you just, I think it's kind of easy to pass over him as the, one of the glory guys. You know, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Noah. What about, uh, what about Isaac? What, what can we do with him? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, about a year from now uh, will be the opening ceremonies of the Summer Olympics in, in Paris, France. And in the opening ceremony, uh, I'm sure you all know, they have some uh, dignitary or other who has the Olympic torch and, and comes into the stadium. There's this great roar and up to some enormous cauldron or other and ignites the Olympic cauldron. Okay, well, how did that torch get there? That torch begins in Athens. And it, it makes the road, by the, the, the way, by foot, makes the journey by foot from person to person to person. The first time they did this, by the way, uh, was in 1936. The Berlin Olympics was the first time they did the Athens to Berlin uh, torch-carrying thing. And there were 3,000 people involved in passing the torch from one person to another. For the Beijing Olympics, just a couple of years ago, 11,000 people were, at one point or another, torchbearers. Who were all these people? Famous, well-known, worldwide celebrities? Some, but not all 11,000. A lot of them were maybe they were local dignitaries in whatever town or hamlet or province the torch was passing through. But you know, with 11,000 people, some of them were just people. Who was out there cheering for them? Their family. They had family. Yay! There goes dad. 
you know, 100 yards, and then he's going to pa- pass off the, the kind of, of torch. You know, who, who lit the cauldron in Atlanta? It was Muhammad Ali, probably the greatest prize fighter that's ever lived. And then each host country has one of their premier athletes that usually ignites the cauldron. I could give you names. It would mean as little to you as it does to me. Uh, uh, sort of thing. But that, you know, that's the spotlight is on that. But how did that torch get there? It got there because all of the torchbearers along the way didn't mess up. <laughs> it wasn't ignited, uh, distinguished, uh, extinguished rather, and it wasn't dropped. They, they faithfully passed the torch to the next person. Yes, you all get it. That's who we are. We are called to faithfulness. We're not all called to celebrity. Some are, not all, not most. We're called to faithfulness. The torch of the light of the love of God in Christ faithfully passed, first to our own families, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you know, to others uh, around us. It's, It's the faithful passing of the torch along the way Uh, that will, in the end, ignite the glory of God uh, that really all the world will see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for faithful people who came before us without which we would not be saved. And we ask that you would make us faithful, as Isaac was faithful in passing the covenant blessing and faith in the God of Abraham to his children and then to their children for generations uh, to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.